correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here with my friend Steve. Hello. And we are here to talk RPGs. We're actually live today. Yes, we are. We're at the Pittsburgh Gaming Expo. Yeah, fantastic. Before we get into that, we're going to shout out our podcast for the week, which is The Forge. Yep. It's a Genesis tabletop RPG, whatever, a Genesis podcast. Attention PGX patrons, we're excited to announce the winner of the Arcade Best in Show competition. There's a lot of really great arcade games here that were brought by the generous members of the Pittsburgh Arcade Collective community, and we sincerely thank them for bringing their games for everyone to enjoy. The games were judged based on three criteria, cosmetic condition, mechanical or electronic condition, and gameplay appeal. We're proud to announce that the winner of the Arcade Best in Show for 2022 is the game Mr. Do, owned by Mike Bear. Congrats, Mike. If you haven't played the Mr. D, check it out. It's a beautiful machine. It plays perfectly. We also have four honorable mentions that were very close second places. Of course we have four. Uh, The first honorable mention is the Flash Gordon Pinball Machine, owned by Chris Myers, Starport LSC. The second honorable mention is the Super Mario Mushroom World Pinball, owned by Chris and Brandy Henry. The third honorable mention is the Police Trailer Cabinet, owned by Glenn Parks. And lastly, the Star Wars Trilogy Deluxe Cabinet, owned by Josh Piper. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the arcade. Congratulations to the winners. All right. (laughs) So, back after that short commercial announcement. (laughs) We are are here to talk tabletop RPGs and why the GM should be the player's player's biggest biggest fan. fan. I keep messing that title up. Well, it's because you gave it to me like two months ago. I know, right? And we never I'm the do one anything. Write it down. Yeah, we never do anything this far in advance. Yes, that's that's where we got screwed up. You also yeah. noticed we have no notes. That's how we do the show. It's very much, you know, the podcast is very much think those conversations you have after you've spent four hours playing a game, and then you all sit around the table for another hour just talking about right. whatever, and then three more hours outside in the snow. Yes, and yes. then on the drive back. <laughs> And then the next day. <laughs> but anyway, so honestly, I really believe that that's a true statement. That the, the GM should be the player's biggest fan. The GM should be there not just to, like, drive on the players, but to encourage them to do dumb things. Well, dumb things, fun things, cool things, right? Like, the, the thing that you remember about games isn't usually the intricate design of the, the, the dungeon and the maze and everything. It's the weird, crazy, off-the-wall stuff that really wasn't planned. You know, it's... I mean, okay, yes, I remember fighting Modoc that played xylophones. But it was also just a wild, crazy fight because wild, fun things happen. I think one of the interesting things with, with tabletop RPGs, and, and Eddie Webb talked about this, 
and and it's sort of the inspiration for Bugmire is it's the game that you remember. Right, right. And it's you know you're not always going to remember the details. I can't remember dice roll numbers, but I know that when I when I played in the cyberpunk game last night and shots were being fired, what happened and how the GM described it, I know that you know. Sometimes it can be hard, and, and we've talked before, and in, in our podcast we've talked before about doing, you know, all like trying your best to always say yes to the players, when to say no, and how to stop things. But I think as a GM, you need to keep in mind that you are going to be encouraging them to do stuff that they might not have, like they might have thought about it and been like, well, maybe we could do this. You need to encourage that, like wild crazy thought because that's where the fun comes all those memorable stories you have from playing tabletop rpgs comes from the times when you know it's not when you went to the tavern and had a drink at the tavern it's when you went to the tavern the dwarf got in a bar fight and everybody had to jump in and now we've burnt the tavern down right you used that obnoxious elf in the corner as a club right exactly i i I beat somebody with a chair one time. I don't know how we did that. We used improvised weapon of some kind. But yeah, same idea, right? So you're trying to encourage that wild, crazy, adventurous stuff just to get those role-playing adventures. Like, one of the biggest things is to try... You know, it is a role-playing game, so you want to get your players involved in their characters. You want to get your players involved in actually telling the story. And the best way to do that is to encourage your players to do the crazy thing right it's, it's you know bring their ideas into it and to me this is also like this is where tabletop rpgs to me have an advantage over video game rpgs it's because you're playing at a tabletop the only limit is your imagination you know there is no coding of graphics or the physics of the game if your player wants to do something really weird and crazy and it isn't going to just wreck everyone else's fun then go for it because they aren't going to be able to go home and turn on the Xbox and do this thing. You know, it's... Yeah, as, as much as I like Skyrim, I can't log into Skyrim and do some of the crazy stuff we've done in other systems. Yeah, you know, you aren't going to... Oh, can I, you know, use this and this and put this together and MacGyver, you know, can, can I make a flamethrower to melt a door that we need to get out of where we're locked in this old mall out of... A robot and an old motorcycle? Right. And the other thing is, is that in video games, I find a lot of times, you know, the, the scene is scripted already. We know what that looks like. So I can't, in a video game, say, is there a chandelier in this room? I already have a yes or no answer. But if I ask you at the table and I go, is there a chandelier in this room? And you go, there wasn't, but there is now. Yeah. Usually in that case, my answer is yes, because for me, it's about... As a GM, it's about, okay, what crazy idea do they have involving this thing if they're asking me? And then we'll see where we go from there. Yeah, if you ever find yourself asking the question of why didn't my players just ask me that, you need to agree to whatever they're about to do next. Yeah, and now, to an extent, but yes. Yeah, the other thing is you, know, you need to remember as a GM that it's, it's about the whole table having fun. So if you have one person who is constantly, for lack of a better word, say it, hogging the spotlight and constantly wanting to do crazy things, maybe you need to pull them aside, have a little thought, say, hey, look, I know you're having a great time, everything else, but, you know, there's, 
more than just you at this table, you know, I know you're having fun, but leave room for the other people to have fun too. Well, I think that's one of the things is that one of the interesting things would be to take that player and say, okay, understand that you have, you want to be the main character for right now. And why don't we make an agreement where, you know, not at the expense of the other players at the table, but why don't we go ahead and let you be the main character for a little bit. And after a couple sessions or so, say, okay, we're moving on to, you know, a different storyline. We're moving arcs. We're changing how we're doing things. So maybe let the other players take a front row seat for this and you can go sort of, you know, not background. And some people, and there's a difference between the character that talks a lot and the character that's hogging the spot. Yeah. Because some some groups and some campaigns really prefer to have one face character and then a bunch of people that just don't talk that. Yeah, and some players don't want to be that upfront about it. Right? You know, and that's the other thing is, you know, like, yeah, you have to work with your table. You have players sometimes that they're really more there to come hang out with you and the rest of these people that they, they're friends with. And they just want to have fun and roll some dice. We have absolutely played with people like that mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. That are just here for the ride, or I'm just here because my other friend brought me here. And I I think one of the biggest things is if you're their biggest fan, and when they do something that's cool at the table, make sure you encourage them, right? Like if you can get that, if you can get them to start role playing where they're just, like where before they were just playing the game. Now you're getting them to get into character. Now you're getting them to start role playing. If you can get that out of that player, do it. Get them interested. Get them out of their comfort zone and make sure you encourage that. Make sure you're, hey, that was awesome, dude. Why don't you do that again? You know, or, you know, where did that come from? Where'd that idea come from? And they'll tell you, oh, well, yeah, keep that up. Keep that line of thinking. You want to encourage players to come out of their comfort zone and get comfortable with role playing. That's the point of the game. This is why this is why playing tabletop RPGs safely and using safety tools and and encouraging inclusivity is such a good thing because it it means more people feel welcome at the table. It means more people feel safe to sit down at your table and play with you and open up to what is admittedly a vulnerable side of them. Oh yeah, I mean that's the thing, right? Characters can, can be all kinds of crazy things, and, and sometimes you know, some people do legitimately use them as a means to, you know, explore either different ideas or, or just all kinds of things. So yeah, you do need to be conscious of that and, and you know be sensitive, be kind, you know, care about your play. Because the other thing is, okay, yes, if you're playing a game out here in the tabletop area, these are likely people. That at least part of the table you've never met before. Completely different thing when you're playing at home with your home group or with your group that you play with regularly online. These are people who either are or are becoming your friends 99% of the time. Right. You know, and that's the other thing, right? Like, as a GM, what gets, you know, why do people play RPGs? Because they have fun with it, right? Right. So, as a GM, you want people to play your games. If they're not having fun, they aren't going to want to come play. If they're having lots of fun, they're going to want to come back and play. They're going to be all excited. And I don't know about everybody else, 
But if I'm GMing, I can tell the table is having a blast. That is like one of the biggest aggressiveness I ever oh, yeah. oh yeah. If you're playing if you're playing a game and it's say an action-based game and you got smiles all around, you know what's up. Or if you're playing a more serious game and everybody is like you know it's serious when people take their phones and like put them down and are completely invested in your game. Once you get that, you're done. You're like, oh man, this is the best feeling in the world. And that's what we're always trying to strive for. That's what we're always trying to push for as GMs is to get the players as involved as possible. I find a lot of times, you know, combat can be a really tough thing, right? Combat keeping everybody involved is a really hard thing. What works really well to keep people involved during combat is conversations happening in combat, right? So maybe I have John who's planning his attack, he's rolling his dice, he's doing his calculations, and he's going to tell me what he rolled. But I have, you know, Susie and Charlie over here having a conversation just between the two of them fighting off goblins. Even though they're not rolling dice, they're still participating. They're still actively involved. I find for D&D especially, it gets really hard to stay active and stay engaged in combat. Well, that's a point that I was listening to because not only do we make podcasts, we listen to a lot of them too. I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about specifically like most most games and most initiative systems, GMs have a completely different perspective on combat than the player. And the reason for that is the GM is involved in everybody's turn around the table. Where in, again, like traditional D&D type games and in most initiatives, most games, really, it's your turn, okay, so you do your thing, we do your thing, I'm the DM, now I move over to them, you're waiting 20 minutes, half an hour, depending on how many people are at the table, how involved everything is, so you're like, oh, okay. Well, as a, as a GM, if, if we do a three-hour combat scene, I'm going full board the whole three hours. As each individual player, you might get half an hour out of three hours. Now, yeah, it's broken up. But that's the other thing you remember is, as the GM, when you're saying, oh, this is going to be this epic, great, long combat thing, for your each individual player, there's a lot of downtime there. And so you need to figure out ways to somehow engage them, even if it's not their turn. Like he said, is it, or, you know, have them play a, a goblin that runs in the corner and just, you know, scream something and runs out or I, anything like that. Just dressing. Well, and if you have a player that's really interested in combat, if you don't mind, like, okay, let's say we have multiple creatures in a combat encounter, right? Mm-hmm. I'm running combat, we're running, you know, I have three goblins, a bugbear, and whatever, right? I have somebody fighting the bugbear actively, and I have a player that really loves combat. I could hand them the goblin and be like, hey, that goblin's attacking your friend over there. Why don't you go ahead and run combat through there with them to keep, just to keep them entertained, right? I think the big thing is, and we both struggle with it, we both have ADHD, and so keeping our eyes and our brains focused on one thing can be really difficult, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm talking too crazy there. But, what were you saying? Yeah, exactly. But the idea is that, you know, if you can keep 
people with games while a long combat like that is happening, that can really change and make a difference in how people walk away from your table. Yeah, you know, if you've got that one player that's really into combat, and okay, you just, with just his turn and now, like you say, your three goblins are going, hey, Bob, what do those three goblins do? Yeah. Yeah, even just asking some questions like that to your players, or throwing ideas out to your players of being like, what does this scene look like? What what are you doing, you know what I mean? What are you doing while this player is doing this? Right. What's your reaction to X? And asking the who, what, when, where's, and why's, just so even as yourself, you can cheat as a GM and get a lot of information out of your players on what they know, what they think they know, and what they want to know, right? Uh-huh. That's, yeah, you know, being, pay attention to your players. This goes with, you know, if you want to say being a fan, right? Pay attention to what your players, what they latch on to, because that's them telegraphing what they want more of. Right. Right. The players will straight up tell you what they want to do more of. And, but a lot of times if you ask a player, well, what do you want more of? Oh, I don't know. I'm having fun. Yeah. Yeah. But you just got to learn those little, like, I know it can be difficult and I know it's hard sometimes, but picking up on social cues of like, okay, they got really engaged when this happened. Mm -hmm. All right, sweet. So we're going to do more of that because I've had a hard time getting this player engaged, right? Yeah. Or everybody got engaged when we went shopping, right? Well, we're going to have another shopping episode in probably three weeks, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's important to keep and pay attention to what your players are doing. I run a lot of things out of the seat of my pants, but I still sit with a notepad and take notes of what got engaged with, what worked, and what didn't. Yeah, it is. It's one of those things, and there are game systems that mechanize that in certain ways, but like I said, if, if you pay attention to what your players are, are latching onto and enjoying, they're going to effectively tell you what they want more of. And sometimes they may not even realize that's what they want more of, but by paying attention to what they're doing, what you know, they light up on, it'll tell you what to do. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a really big thing to like, pay attention to your players. Like I said, and again, the topic of the talk is being the player's biggest fan. Right, and okay, the other thing you have a lot of, the, the, you know, the initial old school D&D dungeon call mentality was much more adversarial, but I think some of that, and I think that goes into, you know, when the original games were coming out, you know, the very early days of D&D, you know, Gygax, Harness, and all those guys were very avid board gamers. Yeah, I think I think D&D was specifically built to be a miniature board game. Yeah, and so at that point, it's a tactics game between the players with these pieces. It's high-tech chess. What RPGs have changed into is a collaborative storytelling experience or not changed, but have, have evolved. evolved. And you can still play the other way if that's what the whole table wants to do. But if you have one player who wants to do that and three who don't, that's, it's hard to please both crowds. You know, I think it just comes down to that's a decision that that player has to make. Right, and this right. is again, you know, as, as Alex was saying earlier, you have 
your session zero before you even start playing where you need to find out from these players what do they want out of the game right you know do you you know we're about to start for for our purposes a star wars campaign well so we're, we're talking about this and said well i want to kind of do the so we all find out we're, we're all interested in playing in roughly the same time span and we want to do not really with full-on rebels but kind of connected and says, oh, okay, so you know, we're all talking between half a dozen of us that are going to do this, and that gives, you know, I'm going to be GMing it, right? So it's, I'm noticing all this and going, okay, yeah, you want to do this, you want to do this. So if I put all these things together, we're going right here. Right, yeah. Yeah, you're taking the notes and being like, okay, you like this, you like that, I like this, we're going to try and go here. And sometimes, sometimes the GM, if your players like something that's out of your wheelhouse, you might have to just figure out how to run that. Yeah. And not necessarily that it's going to become your wheelhouse. Like, I'm not a huge fantasy fan, but I, if I have a group that is insistent on playing fantasy, you know how many times I've run D&D? <laughs> you know that 99% of the times that I've run D&D is because everybody else at the table wants to play D&D? Well, even, I, I mean, I have talked to you into it. It wasn't very hard to convince, but we went Beat City Blues. Oh, no, that was not a hard sell. That was a game I wanted to play. Yeah, I just had to kind of poke you and tell you I thought you'd be good at it. Hey, I think you'll be good at this. It turns out I was good at it. <laughs> but no, and, and, and sometimes it's finding, and, and part of being a GM is finding players that share your same interests sometimes. And part of it's being open to new ideas, open to crazy things. Like, I don't know. I up until we played superhero games, I didn't really have any interest in it. Now I'm absolutely working on a Mutant City Masterminds game. I absolutely have that in the bag. We ran Mutant City Blues, which is an investigative game, but it's set in a super universe. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I had no idea until I actually sat down and played it. And sometimes your players and I don't mean this to sound the way it's going to sound, but sometimes your players don't know what they like until they try it. Okay, look, I was not... He, he, he set the game in Pittsburgh. I was going, okay, until he rolled out his uh, one of his foils for the campaign, Ginza the Ninja. <laughs> and it was with the Carnegie Cavalier yep. and the Steel Defender. And the Steel Defender, yep. Those were kind of our rivals. It was hysterical. It was hysterical. But I also, also setting a game in the real world lets you use real world maps. Yeah. yeah. There's another trick. If you're ever at a loss, if anyone has a game you run, if you're running Cyberpunk Modern, I've done this running Cyberpunk. You Google all four plans. There's tons of them on Google. You can just pop it up. Pull it up on your tablet, your phone, whatever, and just tell them where stuff is. And it's an actual mall. Who knows where? It doesn't really matter. <laughs> I got myself in trouble doing that, though, because I had picked a random location in a map in Pittsburgh, and you were like, oh, no, I've been there. <laughs> well, yeah. well, yeah, you did. <laughs> I picked a building. I'm like, okay, it's in the corner of this and this. It's this building. And you're like, oh, yeah, I used to work in the basement of that building. <laughs> That is a risk if you get a little too familiar. Yeah, if you go a little too familiar, people are going to be like, oh, no, I know that place. <laughs> but it's a little different now. <laughs> yeah, it is. But, yeah, no, and, and that's one of the fun things. It's about having fun. Tabletop games are 
are at the end of the day about everybody getting together and having a good time. That's, oh, that's it. Yeah. And and so, like I said, this is where, as a GM, you want people to play, you want them to have fun. So, and then, like I said before, I really enjoy watching my players have a good time. So, I'm a fan of them having a good time, so I want to do things to make them have more good time and just keep doing that. And look, there, there are also times where, yeah, you can't please everyone all the time. So like, so like Steve was saying earlier, yeah, sometimes you, you move the spotlight, you, you do, and even, you know, look, everybody is at least aware of critical role. If you pay attention to the way they run their campaigns, at least campaigns one and two, they do an arc with this character, then they move on to an arc with this character, then they move, and a lot of times they tie them together, but it is very much, okay, yeah, there's there's an arc with Mauritius' character, and then there's an arc with Travis' character, whatever. It's right. the same thing. That's what's going what, through your home game. And you might have an A plot, or you might have a B plot that is your main story, while also having A plot be a character. Yeah. And I think that's a fun, really interesting thing. You know, um, I've talked a little bit about it before, the Dallas Tabletop RPG. Yes, I get so regret. I know, I know, but I love it. It's the best thing in the world. I wish it was still in print. I wish I could tell you where you can get the the Dallas tabletop RPG. You know, the 1980s um, soap opera drama Dallas. Uh But it talks about story writing and game writing and, and session prep and how to do it sort of TV style. And I love that, especially for games and Anything can be run episodic, almost. But if you're running games episodic, doing that is fantastic. Taking the idea and being like, okay, this is basically a script for a TV show. Like, this episode, we're going to hit these plot points. That's great. And then that also gives you the freedom of, okay, last week didn't land. This week, we need to shake it up. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, too, that sort of structure... Is very relatable to everybody because we all watch, you know, how many TV shows, movies, whatever, where it is broken up in that episodic format. And, and like I said, people, if, if you give them a format they like, I remember reading something somewhere where someone was saying that some of their films and books, or whatever, done that don't do well because they didn't follow. A conventional story structure. Not that the story wasn't good, but it was poorly received because it confused people because it wasn't in the normal framework. Right. Well, the idea again is that if you give people an inch, they'll take a mile. And as a GM, you should be happy to have people take a mile. Honestly, it tells you what direction to go. Right. Yeah. Alex talked about moving goalposts earlier. Um, I, I don't know if anybody was here for that, but he sort of talked about you know. When you're writing out a campaign, or maybe you just have a daily session, right? You have the idea that that X is going to happen at Y, right? Well, sometimes X happens at Z, sometimes X happens at A, sometimes X happens at B. But you always make you always make what you want to happen at the location where the players are, right? So if your players go left when you wanted them to go right, well, I guess that thing that you needed to happen is left. Right. How far left? I don't know. 
you know, I've heard that described as the quantum ogre theory. Yeah. Where there's an ogre at the end of the tunnel, it's just a matter of which tunnel you're in. Right. Or, you know, it's, it's my uh, slogan for game projects become I plan in bullet points and be ready to put them in a different gun. Right, yeah. It's such a great idea. I love this hobby, man. I, I love do. this hobby. It's so great. But no, and, and, and again, encouraging your players to do wild things, encouraging your players to do fun things. Just all kinds of cool stuff happening around tabletop RPGs, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, well, okay. Yeah, and just, and, and see, here's the thing, and, and this I didn't realize because until we played Games of Masterminds with Alex, I had, even though I've been playing RPGs on and off for 25, 30 years, whatever it's been, I'd never played a Supers game. Right. Right. And I don't have a tremendous background with comics, and I've watched a bunch of the MCU movies and whatnot, but it's, it's just never been a. What do you want to say? I've kind of stayed away from it because I. For lack of a better word, I don't feel like I have enough nerve cred in, in superheroes. So we we're going to play this. Okay. And partly through the game, I realized that the thing was just go big. You know, go for the crazy thing, go for the splash panel, and it's fun. Yeah, the, the fun thing with supers is it lets you go over the top. Right. And it, 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 it almost seems to work better going over the top. That's not to say you want to go completely gonzo constantly, but, you know, and, and again, this goes back to the time you picked out the game and having everyone on the same page. You know, I've had, you know, been in circumstances where you're playing a dark game and sometimes you go, you know, you give a minimal description of, of what the room, the scene they walk into is, just to let the players fill in all the gritty details in their own head. And so it's actually that much more impactful because you said less. Right. Well, and one of my favorite tactics is asking the players the next session what happened last session. Oh, that is the most amazing cheat I have ever heard. (laughs) It is one of the dirtiest things you can do as a GM. So what happened last session? And they tell you some story about some little insignificant thing that you were like, I don't even remember that happening. Like you saying about we put Modoc in a can? We might have. I don't know. <laughs> we we very well might have. That's a possibility. I don't know. But the idea of asking your players and being like, what happened last session? And they go, oh, well, we did this and that and the other thing. Okay, yeah, but I remember that differently. But I'm just going to go with your recollection because... Like, my remembrance of what happened and what I have in my notes is completely different than what you're telling me, and that's fine. Right? Well, that's also, you know, again, talking about the clues that your players give you, that's that's the stuff they remember. That's right. the stuff that's they the enjoy. Stuff that stuck with them. That's what they enjoy. Because you remember the things that you enjoy. You also remember things you did enjoy, but when somebody asks you to repeat what happened, you're not going to be like, well, we did this awful thing where we we stood in the corner for 45 minutes. And it's like, no, okay. Nobody's, if your players are looking at you and like, well, we had dinner, that's kind of a problem. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's and I know I keep going back to this, but if you watch the players and listen to them, they'll tell you half of the thing. The other thing, 
the if you can get players to role play amongst themselves, that's fun they're having. You didn't have to do anything for. <laughs> so let them do it most of the time. Yeah. Now, don't let it get excessive. Obviously, we've talked about that a little bit before. But don't don't let your players go for forty five minutes. The rest of the table is like irritated. But if you got like ten minutes, five minutes of, of players just role playing amongst themselves to squabble, a conversation, to trying to figure out a plan, trying to hatch a plan, that gives you time to change how your villain does things to foil their plans. Yes. If you listen to your players and go, they're going to do a smashing grab. And they come in and try and trip over the case. <laughs> you can make the glass thicker. Yep. You would never have done that, would you? No, no, never. <laughs> I never would have thought that my players would have been like, "We're gonna take this stealth mission and just make it a smashing grab that I'm gonna make look like an accident." There was a justified reason for that change. Yeah, I just don't remember what it I don't was. I remember what it was either. There was some kind of logic behind it, but it was hilarious. And it was completely changed on the fly. I didn't remember that much. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was like on route to location. They're like, well we're just gonna knock the thing over and take it. <laughs> you need a scroll. I'm just gonna knock the glass case in the museum that holds the scroll over and take it. In fairness, it worked in our city. Yeah. That was bonkers. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and as a player, too, that's the other thing, right? You know, just don't be afraid to show that you're enjoying something you're playing and, you know, let your GM know, hey, I really like this, and this was a lot of fun. Because if, if anybody there is, is a player that's never run games, um, little secret, I'm not going to say all, because then someone will inevitably email me and tell me that I'm an idiot and they feel this way. Most GMs were terrified that you all are having a good time. Yeah. 99% of the time. And, and so, if you let us know you're having a good time, that makes us feel a lot better. Hey, since we have a live audience, are you having a good time? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hey, this live See, normally I do this stare at the computer screen in my basement. Right, like, I, you stare at my face as I, like, stare off into the distance, just noting. I probably shouldn't tell you I turned my monitor off. Oh, I probably broke it. <laughs> if anybody has lost a cell phone, there was one turned into the bar next to the bathrooms. Uh, please check to see if you have your phone. If you've lost it, please go to the bar. Thank you. Nice. And that was almost me yesterday. Yeah, I know. You left sitting on a chair out there. <laughs> so in case we didn't warn you, we are super casual. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and we are going to go off down the tangents and start over here. I think, they, I think they figured that out by now. Well, if they have the same attention as we do, they're not. <laughs> uh, where were we? we? We were encouraging the audience. Yeah, uh, we're talking about giving your GM feedback. Feedback. Oh, yeah. Good, bad, and ugly. That's all great. Um, constructive criticism is fantastic. Please, as a GM, be open to constructive criticism. If you're doing something wrong and your players are like, hey, man, I don't like how you're running combat, and the book says this, can we maybe work on this a little bit? Absolutely, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I was doing that wrong. Hey, um, since you know a little bit more about this, how does that work, right? 
That's a good conversation to have with your GM. That's a healthy conversation to have with your GM. Just remember rule number one, which I'll make PG, it's don't be a jerk, right? Just remember that's rule number one of most RPGs is don't be a jerk, and just listen to what your players have to tell you, right? And, and sometimes you have, like, a lot of time you have to tell the players, hey, you know, can you calm down, or can you, not calm down, but can you calm this down, or can you dial this back, right? But having the players come up to you and go, hey, can we dial this back, can we dial this up? Having that advice is really fantastic. And, and being able to take it, and sometimes, yeah, sometimes they give you feedback that you just have to take with a grain of salt and just go, okay, yeah, I didn't really need that, but all right, fine, thank you. Yeah. And, and, and not answer that way, but just in your head, you know? Yeah, but like, also, you know, when you're going to give this feedback, you know, make sure to say it in a way, you know, like, for example, you know, Maybe there's a situation where you're playing a game and you're really not happy with the way a certain rule got used. Okay. Don't argue about it when the rule oh. gets used. No, 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 no. Would be after the session, go, hey, you know, talk to the GM, hey, look, I had a blast. I love the session. You did this thing different than I'm used to, but I had a lot of fun. You know what I mean? And that, again, that's, that's the point in the first place, right? It's, it's not about how tightly can we follow this rule book, it's this thing. It's about just have a good time. Right, exactly. You know, and, and so you can be using the mechanics of the game in a manner that's completely different than they were intended, you know, than they were written. But if you're having fun, you're not doing it wrong. No, you're not. And, and I think that's a really fantastic thing. And like I said, as a player and as a GM, being open to Criticism is not a bad thing to have. No. Anybody have any questions, by the way? Yeah. Feel free to interrupt. Go ahead and open up the back. Well, let's go ahead and open up the questions. Yes. Uh, comparison on uh, How do you how do you react to players? Okay. How do you react to players not wanting to follow the storyline you set out? Uh, give them ultimatums. If they're gonna go and burn down a tavern, have them arrested and have the police deliver the quest that you were planning on having them do anyway. And be like, well we expunge your record if you go do this for us. You do that. The other thing is Actions have consequences, right? You know, and in the example of one of this, we've all watched TV for years where crazy stuff happens and there's not much. Then go watch Breaking Bad, okay? I don't know if anyone, you know, you all have seen it, but not for a while. But there's so much of that show that is this bad decision has this consequence, then this happens, and he makes this decision because of this consequence. And it, it just keeps dominoing. Yeah. You can do that in a game, right? But if you were also talking about when you attempt the players to go here and they go there. So there's two Maybe things there here. <laughs> um I've had the advice given to me and I've used it. Oftentimes don't tie 
specific plot points to specific locations. You know, don't don't key don't say X has to happen at location Y. X needs to happen, and it can happen wherever they happen to be. Okay, maybe it's not as cool as you know the villain giving you this big speech from a cliff next to a waterfall, whatever, where he's I, I don't know how it ended up happening. He's yelling down the city block at them, right? You still get your point across, or you want to have a big fight scene on a frozen lake or whatever. You can get them to a frozen lake eventually and have your fight scene. It may not be the one you wanted to have there. You can get it sooner or later. You know, it, it goes through quantum over theory, and this is where, for me, and I get that not everyone does this, this is why I plan the bullet points. I just have some ideas of what I want to have happen, and I make it happen where they're at, not, you know, time myself, oh, they didn't go to this room in, in this house that they're investigating, so now they don't find the clue. That's, that's an easy mistake to make, but it's when you have to kind of avoid in RPGs because for whatever reason your players may not do that thing. Yeah, and I, I think one of the other things is, is if you specifically have these big set pieces and say you're going to have a villain do a thing out of X place, the idea would be that if the players don't go there, the villain still does their thing. Now, that's happened in the background. They don't know what's happened. And they got a tip about something bad about to happen. They don't know what's happened. And maybe they try to go there and now it's destroyed, right? Like a town is demolished where a town would be before. Yeah, that's what you're saying. You know, make it a living world where stuff happens whether your players are there to witness it or be involved or not. Right. The lovely thing with tabletop RPGs is that they're not video games. Video games are very scripted and tight, so they only things tend to happen where the players go, right? Like you walk into a town, a scripted event happens. It happens, you know, only when you walk into that town. The idea, though, is that the world's living. There's people that live in this uh, this world that you built. Things are going to happen whether your players are there or not, and if they're not there to observe it, okay, what are the consequences of that? And, and asking yourself that question and going, what does it look like when the evil villain gets his way, right? What's it look like when the world ends? Yeah. And, it, and, and can the players say what's left? That becomes a different campaign, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Any other questions? Nobody? No questions? I'll ask you a question. You're going to have a question? I don't know. Well, what do you want to... I mean, I was just saying, this, the explanation you just went on really kind of answers the question, yes, the tree does make noise if no one's there to hear it with a ball. Yeah, it does. It does. But, and, and, and that's as simple as it is, but really, like, you know, there, there's multiple ways to handle you know, your question, and not that any one of them is right, and I would say, to a certain point, you want to kind of have a variety of thoughts about maybe how this works and, and go between them different times because 
you know, as, as the old saying goes, no plot line ever survives the first contact with a player. Because I know as a player, I will make a hard turn somewhere that no one was expecting it. But if you deal with it the same way every time, your players are going to come to expect that. And so it's it gets stale. Yeah, so you have to... You build yourself a toolkit, right? We talk about the GM's toolkits. We, we develop tools by the media we consume. They borrow and steal from everything, right? Uh-huh. And your players, as GMs, we think that the players know what's going on up here. They don't. They don't know what's happening in your head. Just because you have all the pieces put together and you think players can see that A plus B equals C doesn't necessarily mean that's true. The players may have all the pieces, they just haven't put them together the right way. A puzzle comes in a box that's a bajillion pieces. Yeah, Does it mean I know how to put it together? No. Well, in an actual puzzle, you have a picture. Right. Yeah. So, and, and here's another tip that I will give to GMs out there. And I do this to myself a lot, right? You're thinking and you're going, oh, they did this thing and now they're going to miss out on this whole grand whatever that I had planned. Here's the deal. They don't know that they missed that. Okay? And they don't have to have missed it. Right. They don't have to have missed it. And they may think that the thing they got instead of it is amazing. In your head as the GM, you failed them. They don't realize that. And that's something because I personally have to really keep myself aware of that and say, hey, you know, if they had fun, I did my job, we won. That's what matters. That's what matters. Did your players have fun? Did you have fun? Because if the answer to no, if the answer is no to either side of that conversation, there's some serious thinking that has to happen. So, and if they don't have fun long enough, sooner or later they will come back and you will have a game to run. Or they'll find a way to sabotage the game. That too. Yeah. Any other questions? Yes. So how do you balance uh, being your players' fans saying yes, but avoiding making the game succeed? Um, so the question was how do you balance being your players' fans without making the game succeed, right? The idea, though, is that saying yes and and encouraging your players to do things shouldn't necessarily be tied to the difficulty of the game, right? Um, if I want to hit somebody with a chair, I still have to hit them with that chair. I have the ability to do so, but I still have to physically pick it up and swing it and hit them, right? Um, and encouraging your players to do the wild and crazy things can lower the difficulty on certain things, right? But again, it goes back to what we were talking about a little bit before. I ran a game where I had a scroll and a case and a museum. The, my idea for the players was that they were going to sneak in at night, steal the scroll, and leave, right? What they actually did was they walked through the front door, they went to the museum exhibit, they tried to knock one player into another player to make it look like they got off balance, knock the thing over, steal the scroll, and leave. What ended up happening was a combat encounter that was about three times harder than it should have been. Right? And so sometimes your players doing that wild and crazy thing ramps the difficulty up. Sometimes doing the wild and crazy thing ramps the difficulty down. 
balancing your players having fun in combat or just difficulty in general is all about sometimes life's easy, sometimes life's hard, right? Well, I think this is where I'm going to quote Mercer, Matt Mercer here. You can certainly try. Right. That's that's yes, but not it worked. You can try, and sometimes that's they just want to try this crazy idea. It cannot work, but sometimes, you know, failing spectacularly is memorable too. Right. We had a, a, a running joke in the D and D campaign we played a couple years ago because I would convict Dean would ask for a perception check. I would look for you. So I go. I've got shoes. My shoes are shiny today. And it became a running joke then, you know, every time someone, you don't, you know, it's not a, a bodge, right? But you just, you know, and, and, and also, right, think about that as how you narrate the game, right? Make them not succeeding, something, not, oh, you don't notice anything. Man, you know, your boots are really shiny today. There's a reflection. and. <laughs> There's no sun in that wall right. over there, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be anything important, but this also it's just a detail. And that's the other thing is I think you know, a lot of us now, you know, see that if, if you tell us nothing, our brain starts going, me, you, yeah, where's the next shiny thing? Right. You tell me there's a reflection in my shoe, that's something for my brain to latch onto and pay attention. Yeah, and, and sometimes pointing out mundane things. Like, perfect example is what you were talking about with a failed perception roll, right? You failed perception roll, but you're perceiving something. You may not be perceiving the thing that I want you to, but you saw something. Right. You're in a shop, you me a perception check. Oh, they have that, uh, they have that juice you really like. <laughs> right? And so, yeah, you don't. I guess what I'm trying to say to is, in fact, what Steve said, saying yes doesn't mean that it's easy. And I think, too, it's like saying yes is giving them the chance to do their thing. And you don't want to make it ridiculously hard. But the other thing, say, okay, yeah, you can try this thing. It's going to, you're going to have to do this, this, and this, and it's going to be difficult. And if you don't, this may be a consequence. So at that point, you're creating a, a micro-social contract with your player saying, you can try to do this crazy idea, but if it doesn't work, these are going to be the consequences, or it's going to be something like this. And so then, you've, so to speak, in the tennis of the tabletop game, you've put the ball back to them to say, okay, you're called. This is how you can do this thing. Do you still want to? You feel that answers your question? Any other questions? Anything at all? What hair product do you use? What do you like to use in your beard? Anything. I will answer any question. Yes. TPK. Oh, oh, I got one. I got one. Okay. I have a little bit longer one, but. All right. Mine's short. Mine's easy. I was running uh, Cyborg, which, if you don't know what Cyborg is, uh, it is a uh, dark, super dark and super gritty cyberpunk game. 
uh, made by the creators of Warcore, uh, which is a super dark and super pretty fantasy game. And I've given my players a an item, and I can say this comfortably now because my session of Cyborg was yesterday, so nobody here can play that now. I've given one of my players an item that was a grenade that caused a micro black hole, but they didn't know that. It was just a dusty grenade. And they pulled the pin, they threw the grenade, they launched their roll, and wiped everybody but him. <laughs> and that was hilarious. They took out an entire quarter of a casino, everybody including themselves. He just happened to not be anywhere near it. What's yours, Steve? Okay, so I've actually related this story on the podcast before. The very early episode, I want to say back in the teens. There's a story called The Night Bubble Went Crazy, and I'll have to abbreviate it a little bit for time. But this was years and years ago, I was running a game called Rifts, which is it's a little bit of an everything game to make it simple, kind of post apocalyptic sci fi with fantasy elements. Anyway, so what ended up happening is through attempting to introduce a new character. Uh, one of the existing player characters had a bout of insanity tripped by fear of aliens, which caused him to snap and try and... In any case, through the whole whatever the story, the entire party ended up killing each other. <laughs> and, I mean, now this involved helicopter crashes, shooting up a grocery store, um, just assorted everything. And the first player character to die, and I remember this, I think the character who died was a character called the Twinkie Avenger. Okay? So, Twinkie dies, the player looks up, looks at the player whose insanity has, has been doing everything, and goes, alright, I'm now playing the voices in your head. And literally, we went for two and a half, three hours through this just up, down, crazy roller coaster of them killing each other off, basically. Okay, so it gets to the end. I'm sitting here going, get to the end of the session. I look up and I go, I'm sorry, guys. I didn't mean this to happen. Everyone goes, oh no, I haven't had this much fun playing in ages. Okay. This had nothing to do other than with me introducing them to this new character. None of it was at all planned. Obviously, I'm not going to plan. My players killed the characters killing each other, right? They loved it. It's been 25 years since this happened. I can message half of them now on Facebook or Discord and go, oh yeah, I remember that. That was great. You know? And, and so, and again, to go back to what I was saying before, where sometimes they don't know what they want, I'm not telling you to go do this with your group. But every single one of them had a blast. They remember it forever. They had no idea they wanted to do it, but I let them. Well, thank you all for coming out to our channel today. We are me and Steve Talk RPGs. You can find us everywhere RPGs are found, including Facebook, Twitter, Discord. Uh, if you go to our Facebook, which is me uh, and Steve RPG Podcast, I believe you do something like that. Something like that. Um, if you're wanting to find out more about us, you can find us wandering around the con today. Yep. Uh, we will gladly tell you where you can find us. Yeah, um, 
find the podcast on pretty much all your podcast services. Yeah, and, any any major podcatcher and most minor podcatchers, including your Samsung fridge. Um, but we are being Steve Talk RPGs. We want to thank everybody who came out and sat out today. Yep. Um, we want to thank PGX. This has been an awesome convention. This was your first convention. Yes, I had a blast. This was not my first convention, but this was my first convention actually playing tabletop games, so that's a great time. Yeah. Big thank you to the staff, all the volunteers, everybody. Yeah, thank you. Hell of a good time. Thank you to our audio guy. He's been awesome. But thank you for coming out. Have a great day. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at andrpgs. Find us on Facebook at meandsteverpgpodcast. On Discord at meandsteverpgs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you, and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. You're doing the intro this time. Oh, all right, that's fine. What's our podcast for the week? I don't know. Shout out the Forge. Okay, <laughs> yeah, we'll do the We both know who that is. So, uh...